If you have your Bibles, we're going to start reading in the book of Matthew chapter 21. Today, uh, it's hard to believe, but we are just about a month away from Resurrection Sunday, otherwise known as Easter Sunday. Can you believe that? It's already Easter. My Lord, like what happened to time? And, uh, and so we're already here, and God's been uh, impressing on me and, and pushing me in this direction. And, and so we're going to be talking about Easter coming up uh, next week and kind of make some announcements. We have a lot of fun things planned. Things are going to be happening and for the, obviously for the kids and the family. But uh, I just believe God is going to open up the, the, the windows of heaven on Easter. And I, I believe there's going to be souls in church that need to have the Holy Ghost, need to be baptized in Jesus' name. I believe God's going to do it. It's always a wonderful time. But leading up to Easter, I feel to uh, direct our attention and and go down this road. And and God kind of gave me a thought for the next few weeks together. So I'm going to be preaching a a series called The Road to Calvary. The Road to Calvary. And what we're going to be doing is we're going to look at, I believe, uh, various steps throughout the week, what is called the week of the Passion or the Passion Week or Holy Week in some traditions. But basically, it's the time when Jesus enters Jerusalem. From that moment, it was one week till he was on the cross on that, on that weekend. And so we're going to be looking at this together. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 21, the next few weeks, we're going to be spending leading up to our Easter service and where obviously we're going to be preaching about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, nothing else matters. That's what Paul said, 1 Corinthians. He said, unless Jesus did not come back from the dead, then we have believed in vain. Everything that we believe, hold dear, hold valuable is all based on Jesus coming back from the dead. Because if he just died and didn't come back from the grave, well, then he was just like everybody else. You get the, you get the picture. If he doesn't come back to life, nothing else matters. All the teaching doesn't matter. His words don't matter. The miracles, signs, and wonders don't matter because death came for him and conquered him the same way it conquered everybody else. But he did come back from the dead. He did conquer hell, death, and the grave. And so we're going to rejoice about that, about the gospel of Jesus Christ. You have your Bibles. Uh, We're going to read a few passages here. In Matthew 21, uh, we're going to be uh, reading quite a bit of scripture, uh, but let's just go down to, um, let's go down to verse 4. Actually, let's go down to verse 6. Let's start at verse 6. And the Bible says in Matthew 21, verse 6, so the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. And a very great multitude, a very great multitude. Now, it's easy just to pass over words in our Bible and not really grasp what it means. A very great multitude. What does this mean? This is a lot of people. Turn to your neighbor and tell them that's a lot of people. We're not sure how many. It's just a lot of people. He says, a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. 
Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The, the palms, as they would say, they, they put them down on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. You know, do you know what Hosanna means? I've already started preaching this morning. Hosanna means literally save us now. <laughs> save us now. Let your salvation come now. Let it be so, Lord, even now. Is it any wonder the prophet, the apostle, rather, John, writing the book of Revelation said, when you pray, last few verses of your Bible, pray, even so, Lord, come quickly. You know what he's telling us to pray? He's telling us, Lord, let your salvation come now. And this is what the multitude, the Jews in this day, were uh, eagerly waiting the Messiah. And they said, Hosanna, save us now. Hosanna to the God, to the Son of David. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And so today, as we begin our journey toward the resurrection, we're starting talking about the road that eventually will lead to Calvary, the cross that was on the hill called Golgotha, the place of the skull. But it all started on this day, the first day of the week, where he walks in and rides into Jerusalem. And he walks in as, and rides in rather, as the king. He enters as the king and he ends with his death, the torture and death and eventual resurrection. And as I was studying, the thought just kind of kept coming to me. Isn't it amazing what can change in one week? Think about it. The multitudes crying, Hosanna! Save us now. Bring us salvation now. Yet another multitude won out in the end by shouting a different word, different words that said, crucify him. Give us Barabbas. Crucify Jesus. Oh, how much can change in just one week. You see, at this moment in time, the nation of Israel, the people of God, and all the other Gentiles, all the other Romans, they, they had a decision to make about Jesus. They had to make a decision because they had seen all the miracle signs and wonders. They had seen all the incredible things that Jesus did. They heard the testimonies. They heard how he opened blind eyes and unstopped deaf ears. They heard all of that. Some of them had experienced it. And so there was a great multitude, remember, a, a large number of people into the thousands, no doubt. And thousands loved him. Thousands believed in him. Thousands had their faith in him. But not everybody was yet convinced. And so what is this moment in the time and the road to Calvary? This moment is a decision day for the people of Israel. This is a choice that has to be made. Would they 
choose to serve this Jesus and recognize him as the one true Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament? Or would they dismiss him as just a crazy man? Would they dismiss him as a phony and a fraud? And let me pause right here to say that this is still the decision that everyone must make today. Every single person in this place right now has either made the decision or is making the decision that there's either something to this Jesus or there's nothing to this Jesus. See, because Jesus changes everything. We cannot, and he is not a part or preaching or believing or trying to get us to think that you can add Jesus to an already crowded system of religion. You can't do that. Why? Because it's either Jesus or there's nothing else. You're either going to accept him or reject him. He, he can't just be a good prophet or a good man. The apologist C.S. Lewis said that he's either Lord, liar, or a lunatic. You either have to worship him as Lord and honor him as such or be convinced that he was lying about everything that he said and makes him a phony and a fraud or that he was just crazy and he was mistaken but not really who he said he was. See, this is the decision that every single person must make in their life is he who he said he was is he the way is he the truth is he the life is he the only way to get to God you see it would be one thing if we could just say yeah yeah, yeah he's just one of the ways he's just one of the truths He's your truth, but not necessarily my truth. That would be convenient. But friend, he did not leave that open to us. He said, I am the way. And if you want to come to me, you must come in through the way, the door. He said, I'm the sheepfold, the door, the sheepfold. Anyone that comes in any other way is a thief and a robber. Meaning there's no other way to get to God. You got to go through Jesus. He didn't leave it open to go any other direction. You either accept who he is, believe who he is, or you reject him as a crazy person and a liar. I'm preaching today to somebody that it's time for you to make a decision. Who is Jesus to you? What are you going to do about Jesus? What are you going to do about what he said? He's either who he says he was, or he's not. And this is where Israel was. They were in this place of having to decide. You can't just accept God as a good philosophy or a good uh, way to live your life. He either changes everything or you completely reject him. This is the reason that Jesus asked his disciples in the book of Matthew verse 16, or chapter 16 rather, verse 13. Let's go there together. The Bible says they're at Caesarea of Philippi, and this is an important place because at Caesarea of Philippi, if you've never been there before, never been to Israel, I suggest that you go. It's an incredible journey, and there's so much to learn. 
But what you learn when you go to Caesarea Philippi there in Israel is that it's in this region, in this location, that many gods and goddesses of their culture were venerated. They were established as idols, and idol worship was a very common thing during this day. And it's in this backdrop of this setting that Jesus asked the question of his disciples. He says this in chapter 16, the book of Matthew, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples saying, who do men say that I, the son of man, am? So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. In other words, they say that you're another prophet, another great man of God, another individual in the line of succession of great men of God. They say you're just another, you know what they were saying? You're just another guy. You're awesome. You're great. You do miracles. It's great. But you're just another one of those, like Elijah, like John the Baptist, important in their day, but nonetheless, just a prophet. And then he turns the question more inward to his disciples. It says, oh, I, I understand that's the way the world and the rest of the nation sees me. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? In other words, that's what they all believe. But I want to drill down into you personally. Who do you say that I am? See, it's one thing for what everyone else in the world says. But what God's interested in is what do you say? What do you think? Who is Jesus to you? Uh, I'm preaching to someone this morning. I pray that you're grabbing it right now, that you're receiving it. God wants to know who is Jesus to you? What does he mean to you? Do you have a personal relationship with God? Have you made up your mind that there is one Lord, one faith? Have you made up your mind that there's no other way to go it's all about Jesus he said who do you say that I am see it's so easy to ride on the coattails of moms dads brothers sisters cousins nephews it's so easy just to go along with the crowd well this is what the people are saying this is what everyone else is saying this is what's going on you know on the Facebook this is what the collective uh, common, you know, theme is. Yeah, 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 yeah. But who do you say that I am? I believe God is here today, and he's got that question for us right now. Who do you say, Life, Life Church, who do you say that I am? Who, who am I to you? Have you made up your mind what I am in your life? Uh, there's a point in every single person's life where it's time to make a decision about God. It's time to either sell out on God or, or just quit the game and get off. It's time to make a decision. Why, why is that? Because we're getting so close to the end. God's looking for someone to say, I'm all in. I'm giving you everything. I'm giving you everything that I got. All of my mind, all of my strength, all of my soul. There's a reason why God presented himself on that day as the king 
It was intentional. He told his disciples, we didn't read uh, the first part of the passage. Go back and read it, though. There was, it was intentional. He said, go get that colt. I'm riding in specifically as a king would come into town. He positioned himself that way. He did that on purpose. You want to know why he did that on purpose? Because God has no interest in being second place in your life. God has no interest in just being a part of our lives. God has no interest in, in, in just being another thing that we do during the week. He, he desires everything from us. Why? Because he gave, he gave everything to us, and so he expects everything in return. And, and I don't know about you, but I'm not going to offer unto God just a, a little part of my life. I, I want to give God everything that I have, every single part of my life life he's my one goal my one focus he's at the center of everything and I believe God is here and God is presenting this question and I wonder if we can be like Peter Bible says in verse 16 jumping back to Matthew no I'm jumping around a little bit today but that's all right Simon Peter answered and said you are the Christ the son of the living God in other words you're the Messiah you're the one the prophets spoke about. You're the one that we've been waiting for. You're the one we've been looking for. You're the one we've been praying about. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Everyone else is talking about Jesus as just a good man, as just a prophet. He's a good idea to, wait, to live your life. It's a good book that you should read once in a while. Put it on your library like, you know, uh, with all the others. I don't know about you, but my Bible takes precedent over every other book that I have in my library. I, I know it might sound silly to some, but you know, I don't have my, my bookshelf right now. They're kind of all in boxes still, whatever. But, but when I get my Bible on the bookshelf, it doesn't go on the shelf with all the other commentaries. I don't know. I'm just weird. Because I think there's something about it. I, I don't like just putting my Bible down by all the other Bible dictionaries, you know. I don't like putting it by all the other comments. You say, man, that's just weird, Pastor. Why do you, why do you think I, because there's something special. All those other books talk about this book. But this book doesn't talk about the other books. This book has a special place. All those other books are written by men and they can be wrong. They're just ideas, concepts. But this is the infallible word of God. It doesn't have any error. It doesn't have any mistake. It is the bread of life. And I treat it as such. And I want that word in my life. Oh, if you feel the same way, why don't you go ahead and lift your hands, lift your voice. Jesus, you mean everything to me. You mean everything to me. Woo. And I just think we got to think about that not only in our Bible. I'm not, I'm not too crazy about it, but I, I do my best not to let anything sit on it. I don't, I don't get, you know, like crazy and stuff like that, but I do my best. It's, it's the Bible, you know? Sometimes you, you, it drops or whatever, and it kind of gets wrinkled a little bit, and, you know, but when I drop another book, it's like, oh, I dropped a book. Let me just get that. Throw it back on the... When I drop the Bible, it's like, oh, man, let me go through and make sure my pages aren't messed up, you know? You know how the pages kind of get messed up? They kind of fold, you know? Other books, like, ah, whatever. This book, no, no, I want to make sure that 
Oh, preacher, that sounds weird. That's a, no, no, no. If you only knew how I see Jesus, it's all about him. He, he, he is so valuable to me. His words. This is my life path, if you will. This is how I get to heaven. I, I can't make it without this thing. This is how I live every single day. It, I don't just open this book up like any other book. And I believe we need to be readers. I think it's important that, that we read and all that. Maybe it's not your thing, but I think it's, I think it's important. And I read a lot of books, but you know what happens, Brother Ulysses, when I open up my Bible? I take a different posture with my Bible. Other books, I might put book on CD or whatever. We don't do CDs no more. We do audible, stuff like that, you know. Let it play while I'm getting ready for the day or driving down the road or whatever. But you know what, Brother Art, when I get my Bible out, I take a seat. I'm going to sit down. Make sure that when I, hear, when I hear what's going on, I want to hear what God's saying to me. He's not just another author that's speaking to me. You understand what I'm saying this morning? It's not just another good idea, a good philosophy of life, a good way to live. No, no, no. He's the only way to live. It's not just a good idea. It is the only idea. It is the only way to get to heaven. It's the only way to have the blessings of God in my life. And Jesus strategically placed himself on the colt, walked in just as the prophet said he would walk in, all to send one message. The king has arrived. The only thing left was would everybody make the decision that he was the Lord and Savior, that he proclaimed to be? See, if he just said he was a good teacher, fine. He was just a good teacher. If he just said he was another prophet, fine. He's just another prophet. But he didn't say any of that. No, no, he said, I am the bread of life. He said, I am the way. He said, I am the vine. He, he made it very clear who he was. And so we have to decide. And for the nation of Israel, for the nation of Israel, their decision was clear. Accept this man, this, this Jesus for who he says that he is. Or reject him as some sort of crazy person. And you know, the decision is still here for us today. And God hasn't made it tough on us. I, I, I've talked to a lot of people that ask the question, why does it seem like it's so tough to find Jesus? Or why does it seem like, what's up with all the different religions? And I, I feel to say this right now, it's, it's clear that the enemy has been at work. But the reason why it's so difficult sometimes to find Jesus is because what the enemy has done, the enemy has taken the haystack and added it to a needle. Now, what, what do I mean by that? It's, it's very difficult sometimes. And one thing you've noticed about, if you ever worked at like a retail shop or something like this, to find a counterfeit bill. Anybody ever seen like a counterfeit bill, $20 bill or $50 or $100 bill? And it's fake, right? It's, it's weird. But when you deal with money on a regular basis, I remember at one point I was a cashier when I was in a high school and then into college. And I would go through, you know, nothing like cash, like, right? You just be touching money all the time. And, and I remember uh, on a few occasions I would come across a fake bill. I don't know why. At some point, I had, I had someone do like a fake $10 bill. And I remember thinking, why would you like do a fake $10 bill? Like do a hundred, you know what I mean? That doesn't make any sense. Like all that work and effort for 10 bucks, it didn't make any sense. But there was a few times 
I would come across a, a, a bill that just didn't feel right. It was just a little bit, it was close, but it just didn't feel right. There's some folks here today that maybe it's your first time at Life Church or first few times, and you just came into Life Church because it just feels different. It just, there's something about it that just feels different. Friend, when you know the truth, you're feeling. You get, you, there's something about it that it just feels different. Uh, and there's something about Jesus when you walk into an apostolic atmosphere where people are worshiping God and there is a power. It's not just another service, but you can feel the power of God. There is a difference. And this is what God has given us. He says, you can either choose the real deal or you can settle for a counterfeit. And I don't know about you, but I want the real deal. I want a move of God in my life. I want to feel God's presence. I want to feel his power. Oh, someone say, praise the Lord. Jesus coming in to Jerusalem. In, in Luke 19, you have your Bibles, let's flip there. You got to understand, this story is recorded in every gospel, all four of our gospels. And, and in, the, in the story, Luke makes a, a, a different observation. He points out two things. Number one, he points out what the Pharisees were saying. He says, Luke 19, starting in verse 39, if you would. The Bible says, and some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd. Called to him from the crowd. Now, these were the Pharisees and the multitude. Remember the great multitude? They were worshiping Jesus. But then this group of Pharisees, they called out from the crowd saying, teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why did they say that? Because they recognized what they were all saying. Hosanna, save us now, Lord of the highest. They were recognizing that they were proclaiming this is the Messiah. He is the son of God. He's the one that we've been waiting on. And they're saying, hey, 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 tell them to quiet down, they said. Rebuke your disciples, verse 40. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Why? Because in the book of Daniel, the Bible says that when the Messiah comes into the city, there will be rejoicing and there will be worshiping. This moment in time on the road to Calvary was prophesied, was predicted, was already determined by God aforetime. Hear what I'm saying. This was the destiny. And Jesus is saying, I, it doesn't matter if I tell them to be quiet because God has already spoken. God has already settled it. There will be worship when I come into Jerusalem. They will worship me as king. There will be a people that will recognize who I am. And he said, if I tell them to be quiet, he said, the stones will cry out. Now, now what does this mean here? There's a lot of different thinking of what this can mean. That some people think that it's actual rocks that would grow, you know, vocal cords, and I, that's definitely possible. I think that's, you know, I think God could do it. I don't, I don't put that past God one, one moment. But what I think when I read this verse and I do a study, I think what's going on here is when you read the context of what, where he's coming from, and he's riding into Jerusalem. He hasn't yet entered the city. And as you study the geography and how they set up their cities, the dead would always be buried on the outside of the city. 
So what I think this is a reference to, oh, hallelujah. He's saying as he walks in, he says, if I make them silent, these stones, all these headstones where these saints of old have been buried, oh my. They will begin to cry out. You know what he's saying? If these people stop worshiping God, the saints that previously that have gone on to be with God will cry out from their grave because God has already determined that there will be worship when I come into Jerusalem. Friend, it doesn't matter if it's this generation or another, but God will be worshiped. And I don't know about you, uh, but I want to be in the number that says, Lord, you have all of my worship you have all of my praise i believe i believe i believe oh someone just send a little bit of worship unto the lord right now come on lift your voice send a little worship unto the lord right now jesus jesus Jesus, Jesus, I believe that this is the reason why Paul said we are encompassed about by such a great cloud of witnesses. Now, not everybody believes that. I do believe it. I believe that the saints of old that have gone on to be with the Lord, our moms, our dads, our grandparents, our, our loved ones, I believe that they are in heaven Worshiping, cheering us on, believing with us. I believe that they are walking with us in their own way. They have already reached that end goal of salvation. And I believe they are worshiping with us. I don't believe that we worship alone. I know that might sound a little bit weird to some. That's the way I see it. I think we're just worshiping in different places. That's what I think. He said, you're uh, uh, surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. What is that? Of people that have come before you, that have been through the struggle, that have been through the storm, that have been through the rain, just like you and I go through. They made it through. They survived the storm. And you know what else? They kept the faith. They believed in God. They trusted God. You're not moving through this thing by yourself, but you are in a long line, a legacy of apostolic believers that have believed, that have kept the faith, that have stayed faithful. You have a heritage. Life Church has a heritage. We're apostolic. We have a heritage. We're the book of Acts church. We got to understand this point right here. That when we pray, we're connecting ourselves to generations of apostolics going all the way back to the book of Acts and going even further back than that as the people of God. You're in a great line. It was the writer of Hebrews that began to talk about in Hebrews 11, all the different individuals in the halls of faith, the Bible says. He says, I could tell you about Gideon. I could tell you about Abraham. I could tell you about Moses. I could tell you about Noah and Joseph. He, he goes down the list of all the great people of faith. Can I tell you something? You and I are in that lineage. That's our legacy. 
We, we're just here in 2021. They were here a thousand years ago or whatever it was. We're just here at a different time, but we're all serving the same God. We're all moving in the same direction. It's the one true God, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Paul, the God of Peter. It's the same God that we're worshiping. We connect ourselves to that. And what, what's Jesus saying? He's saying, even if this generation stays silent, there's a whole other generation that will come back from the grave just to make sure that I am worshipped and praised entering into Jerusalem. That's the Bible. That's the word of God. And I don't know about you, but I made up my mind a long time ago. I'm going to be amongst the people that give honor and praise to God. Why? Because he's been so good to me. Brother Mario, he's been so good to me. I can't let a day go by without letting him know, God, I am so grateful for your blessings. I am so thankful that you've kept me here. You've guarded my mind. I should have lost my mind a long time ago. Went crazy, been off in the world. But God sanctified me. He protected me. He guarded me. He led me. And I want him to know what he means to me. I want him to know what I think about him. I don't worship God because it's the right thing to do in a church service. No, I worship God because he's been good. He's been good to me. Praise God. And I don't just worship God to show my kids how to worship God. Although that's important. But you know what I want my kids to know? I want them to know that dad is thankful for the blessings of God. I want them to know I'm nothing without Jesus. I want them to know that it's in him I live, I move, and I have my being. I want them to know that there's something greater than myself. I want my kids to be worshipers. Some of you are expect, go ahead and be seated. Some of us, we expect our kids to do something that we're not. If we're not praying, don't expect your kids to pray. You know, one of the frustrating things as a parent is when your kids start doing stuff that really gets on your nerves, and then you realize you do it too, you know? <laughs> when they start acting like you, don't, doesn't that just like bugs you? Like, would you stop that? And you're like, yeah, I do that, <laughs> you know? Because here's the thing, man, all that, you're, you're teaching your kids. I'm talking to some moms and dads right now. They're watching you. I'll never forget this revelation came to me. My daughter, she was just old enough. You know how they get old enough that you start seeing their little head over the countertop, whatever? And there was one thing. I was doing something in the living room. I was trying to fix something or something, and I, I, I hurt myself somehow. Come, and you know that moment where it's like, oh, and you just want to, like, yell or something like that? That happened to me. And I, I, was, I caught myself, I was like, oh, like this. And I look over, and I see her two little eyes peeking, her two little eyes peeking over the counter like that. And I remember, like God just kind of spoke to me. He says, there's two little eyes watching you. It was a profound moment for me as a dad. Because, of course, you always know your kids are watching. But in that moment, it was real. Those kids are watching you. And you can tell them all you want. You can tell them, yeah, you need to pray every day. You need to read your Bible. You need to go to church. You need to worship God. You need to... Tell them all you want. But unless they see you do it, did you hear me? Tell them all you want. But unless they have an example to follow, 
See, I don't open up my Bible every morning because I just want my, my kids just to know, no, I want them to see their dad in the word. I want them, and not just pretend, no, 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 hey, you're, you're in the word, you're praying. I don't want them just to, to think or to be told that, hey, yeah, you need to pray every day. No, no, they need to see mom and dad praying every day. They need to see us in the word of God. They need to see us worshiping God. When we go to church, they need to see us lifting our hands and lifting our voice. Well, I just feel it in my spirit. I know that might be uncomfortable for some, but it's true. Your kids are watching. Your kids are paying attention. Your kids are following every move that you do, mom, dad. And you want them to be apostolic. You want them to be in the truth. You want them to live a life of holiness and purity. You want them to stay out of the world and stay with Jesus and stay in the church. You need to live it for them. You need to show them how to do it. Show them what needs to be done. Put it before them. And I want my kids to know that dad loves Jesus. That dad is sold out on Jesus. That dad doesn't want anything else but to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. I want my family with me. I want this whole church with me. I want to see Jesus. Oh, somebody say amen. Feel like I've been preaching a little while. I don't know. Maybe it started getting warm. That's why. Bible says, and one of the I'm going to try to bring it to a close quickly. I should have a timer up here. I, I haven't figured it out yet, but I'm going to try to bring it to a close quickly. But I have a few more things to say. The Bible talks about Jesus coming in on a colt, on a donkey. You know, one of the problems for the Jews at this point is that they imagined a king that would come to liberate them and set them free from Roman rule. At this moment in history, the, the Jews were living during what's called the times of the Gentiles in, in the history of the Jewish people. What that means is they were an occupied state by the Romans. The Romans allowed them to keep to their traditions. It didn't really matter. Live how you want to live, but you pay your taxes to us. You live under our rule. If you break our rules, you're going to suffer the consequences. But for the most part, they let them kind of be. And it had been like that for many years. It wasn't always the Romans many times. Uh, There were the Persians, the Assyrians. There were other conquerors of the Jewish people. When you go back, for instance, the, the book of Daniel, you see it got pretty bad. They were carried off in exile. They were forced to change their, their diet, their food, what they could eat, and all this. Their, their names were changed. And, but during this time, they were under a different rule, but they were still under the arm or the thumb or the foot, if you will, of the Gentiles. And so they were, they were waiting for their salvation. They were waiting for their redemption. They were waiting to be set free by their king. But the problem was this. They were expecting to be set free by a king that would overthrow the Roman Empire. That would establish, to reestablish what? The nation of Israel and the people. Go back to the glory days of King David and Solomon and all these others. But that's not what Jesus came to do then. Instead, he came riding on a donkey. <laughs> like, wait a minute. What? You don't have a sword. You don't have an army. You don't have, what are you doing? This, this isn't right. And for the people at the time, they couldn't get past the fact 
that the way that God was choosing to work wasn't the way they imagined. It wasn't the king they had in their mind. It wasn't what they wanted or thought should have been. So for that reason, many of them dismissed it as not being what God was doing. Can I tell someone here today? Sometimes God answers our prayers in ways we never thought about. Sometimes God shows up at moments in times where we are confused about. God doesn't think the way that you and I think. Newsflash there, right? God doesn't uh, move or work the way that you and I move and work. God has a different way of doing things. God shows up in, you know, there's that old phrase, God works in mysterious ways. It's not really in the Bible. But it is a true thing that God does work sometimes in ways we never imagine. I'm reminded of the story of Naaman. You remember this man, Naaman. You have your Bibles. Let's go there for a moment. I know I said I was going to hurry, and I am going to hurry. Five more minutes. Give me five more minutes. Second Kings chapter 5. A man named Naaman, the Bible talks about, he was a, he was a general, centurion, he was a, a man of war, and he had a problem. He had a leprosy. Leprosy is, was very common then. It's still common today in many countries. Leprosy was a, is a horrible flesh-eating disease. And the Bible talks about that, that Naaman was desperate to get rid of this leprosy. And so he goes to the prophet Elisha, and I'll just kind of summarize this story for a moment, and then we'll read verse 13. He goes to the prophet Elisha. Elisha doesn't even come out to see Naaman. It's like, what? He doesn't even come out to see him. He tells him through Gehazi, he says, go tell that man to go dip in the Jordan River seven times. Doesn't even come out to see him. But he wanted the word of the prophet. He'd heard that Elisha was powerful and that miracles had been done. So he, he goes to him, but then he gets upset and he says, wait a minute. This man couldn't even come out to see me. Just gives me some orders and some directives and not only that, he tells me to go and dip in the nasty, muddy, filthy Jordan River. That doesn't make any sense. See, right then he makes up his mind. That doesn't make any sense. That's silly. And he writes off the man of God's word. He writes off what God was trying to get him to do. Why? Because it didn't make any sense to him. Verse 13 of 2 Kings 5 says, his servant, he says, my father... If the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, just go wash and be clean? In other words, it's simple. Just, just, just do, what, do what the man of God said. Just do what the prophet said. It's not that hard. Just do what he says. You know what was the problem for Naaman? is that he couldn't get past the fact that he was expecting some great, awesome like show you know the man of God would come out declare it fire would fall and burn off all his boils yeah. maybe he was going to take some holy water that he prays over and then throws it at him and the boils would like melt away instead the prophet doesn't even come out he just says go yeah yeah go dip in the Jordan and so he's like man what's going on if Naaman would have walked away, and this is what I'm trying to say right now. If Naaman would have walked away and rejected the word from God just because it didn't make any sense to him, he would have died a leper. 
he would have died with his disease. But you know what he did? He said, you know what? What do I got to lose? <laughs> this leprosy is with me if I go dip in the water or not. I, I, my life is this way no matter what. I, I, I'm not getting any better. I've tried, every, I've tried everything else. I might as well just try what the prophet of God, what the man of God is saying. I might as well just try this Yahweh that he's talking about. I might as well just give God a shot. I'm talking to some people, maybe even right now, you've tried other things. You've been down other roads. You've read other books. You've tried other procedures. You, you've done everything. You've tried all those other things. It's time to give God a try. You've done it your way. You've thought through it. You reasoned through it. You thought you had it all figured out. You got yourself a good game plan. It's now it's time to try another way. Why don't you just give God a try? Why don't you just let go? Everyone say let go. Why don't you just let go and give it over to God? You, you've, you've worked at every angle you could try to uh, figure out. You've stayed up late into the night on Google trying to search. What if I do that? What if I do that? Why, why don't you just let it go and give God a try? Why don't you just try the simplest answer? God, whatever you say, that's what I'm going to do. God, I got my ear to the ground. I want to hear what you said. If Naaman would have left at that point, he would have died in his leprosy. He would have been stuck in his mess. Uh, oh, but thank God. He went down to the River Jordan. He dipped seven times, and the Bible says he was completely healed. Why? Because God doesn't do things the way that we think he should do things. He does it his way, and his way is higher than our way. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. I want it to go God's way. Somebody shout amen. Jesus, Jesus. The music can come. I'm going to bring it to a close right here. The last thing I'm going to say. On his way into Jerusalem. On his way into Jerusalem. The Bible says in the book of Luke that he stops right there. Luke 19, 41. The Bible says in Luke 19, 41, you have it with me there, sister, or brother. Thank you. <laughs> brother Anthony. 1941, now as he drew near, he saw the city, saw the people. And the Bible says, and he wept over it. He wept over it, saying, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day. Everyone say that, your day. Say it again. Say your day. He said, if you would have known, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. In other words, your peace, your rest, your salvation, it's here. He's saying, hey, it's time. I'm, it's, it's your day today. He said, if you would just know, even if you had known, this is your day. This is your time. This is your moment. But they were distracted. They were thinking that God shouldn't do it this way. A, 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 a man from Nazareth riding on a donkey. No, this can't be God. This can't be it. 
Jesus says, if you would have known this was your day, he weeps over them. Why? Because they missed out on the Messiah that they had been waiting for, that they had been praying for, that they had been expecting. Church, can I tell you this? Over and over again in the Bible, it makes it clear that if you're not expecting God, you're going to miss him. Over and over again, if you're not expecting him and you don't reach out to him, you don't call on his name, you're going to miss him. See, God's not this God that's going to force you to do something. That's not the kind of God that we serve. He's not going to force you to be saved. No, no, no. It's on you to call out to him. He's reaching for us. He's drawing us. He's trying to get us out of that dark place, the muck and mire of this world, the sin of this world. He's trying to bring us out of darkness into his marvelous light. But friend, you and I, we can miss it. You and I, we can miss our moment. We can get distracted by, wait a minute, God, this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I thought. This isn't the way that life was supposed to play out. Some of you are in a place right now where you're not where you thought you would be at this point in life. You expected things to be different. God, I expected to be married by now. I expected to have my retirement secured by now. I expected my kids to be out of the house by now. I expected my, my, I, to be done with my school by now. I expected to made that promotion by now. So much in life, it's like our expectation for God and God's saying, I have you right where I want you. If you trust me, if you believe in me, if you surrender it all to me, I will take care of you. There's a reason why we still do baby dedications at church. We don't baptize the young, the infants. We don't do that. We don't see that in Scripture. But you know what we do do? We dedicate our children. We bring them to God. Why do we do that? Because we're saying, God, this is your child. Uh, whatever they're going to be, whatever they're going to do in life, I want you to know that they're yours. I'm dedicating them, giving them to you, however you want me to raise them, whatever you want me to put into them. It, it's, a, it's a surrendering, a surrendering to God. Some of us, we need to do that with our entire life. We need to say, God, whatever it is, I don't want to miss what you have for me. I don't want to get distracted by my own thinking, my own ideas, that I miss your ideas and what you're thinking. Because at the end of the day, God, that's what I want. Luke 24, I said I was ending. I'm going to end right now. Let's go ahead and stand and I'll be done. Luke 24.
verses 27 through 29. The Bible says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then they drew near to the village. Notice what it says here. They drew near to the village where they were going. And he indicated that he would have gone further. That he was just going to keep on going. It's like they were walking, we're passing through, and we came to the village that we were going to. But you know what? I'm just going to keep on moving. But you know what the Bible says next? Verse 29. But they constrained him. Saying, abide with us. For it is toward evening and the day is far spent. And the Bible says, and he went in and stayed with him. You know what it means? It means that he was getting ready to pass on by to another place, another time, another house, another village. But you know what the people said? No, 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 Jesus, stay here. They constrained him, meaning they, they asked him, please, no, 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 stay. We want more of you. We want more of you in our life. We, we don't want you just to pass on by. We, we haven't had enough yet, God. We want more of you in our lives. The Bible says they constrained him. In other words, I'm not going to let this moment pass by. I, I, I need more of him, not less. And, and they constrained. They said, please stay. I'm talking to some people today that God's moving. God's walking through your life. He's walking through your family, walking into your homes, walking at your work, at your job, at your company. And he'll just keep on walking unless you say, hey, God, wait a minute. How about you just stay a little while longer? God, I want more of you. I need you. They constrained him, the Bible says, to stay. Another passage in the book of Mark, the disciples are on the water. They're having a struggle with the boat. And they're having a struggle with the storm. And the Bible says that Jesus comes walking out on the water. In the book of Mark, I think he's the only one that mentions this. The Bible says, and Jesus would have passed them by. Imagine that. They're struggling. Their boat's getting ready to go under. They're in a storm. And Jesus is right there. Has everything that they need for salvation. But the Bible says he would have passed them by. Why is that? Because, friend, you and I have to make up our minds that we're going to reach out to him. He's here. He's ready. He's able. He's willing. But you got to make up in your mind, Jesus, you're all I want. You're all I desire. You're all I need. You're all I want in my family. You're all I want in my marriage. You're all I want in my finances. You're all I want in my life. If I have Jesus, hear me. If I have Jesus, then I have everything. If I have Jesus, I have everything that I need. There's a reason we sang that old song. Take this whole world but give me Jesus. Take everything in this world, but just give me Jesus because it's all about him. Oh, every eye closed in this parking lot today out here right now. Father, we reach out to you today.
I pray that every single hungry heart, God, that desires to eat of your word, that desires to know you, to know your power, that you would meet us right where we are at today. God, we are hungry, we're thirsty, we're desiring a move of your spirit. We've made up our mind who you are. We've made up our mind to follow after you. Though none go with me, God, still I will follow. I love you, Jesus. I worship you, Jesus. Right now, if you're here and you feel that power of God tugging on your heart, in your mind, we, we brought back the altar. There's something powerful that happens in an altar. Maybe there's a family or a few people that you've been on the fence with your lifestyle, selling out on God. You're ready to make a decision today. Maybe you came to church this morning because you knew, I, I don't have anywhere else to go. I got to be in the house of God. You didn't just make up that on your own. God's been drawing you. God's been reaching for you. Maybe you're here today and you need God to step into a situation at work, in your body, your health, finances. I'm here today to tell you that Jesus is all that you need. I said he's all that you need. He's all that you need. So right now, would you come today? Why don't you take your husband or wife by the hand? And would you come where it's appropriate? We have a prayer team. Our altar team is going to be here to pray with you, believe with you. But why don't we come to the altar this morning as a family? Maybe you need God to step into a situation in your life, whatever it is. Maybe it's a family member that's sick. Maybe it's a marriage situation. Whatever's going on. Put your mask on. Come on to the front. Let's believe in faith that God is going to touch you that God is going to minister to you that God is going to work it out would you come let's worship together let's worship together Lord in this place today Lord that you would save deliver heal in the house this morning God every broken heart every confused mind every wandering soul God that you'd bring us to a place where we are desiring you in a deeper way God we need you today we need you today we need you today as you come would you just come and lift your hands there's going to be an altar team. Why don't you find someone to pray with where it's appropriate right now. Let's worship God together.